0: From Local 12 Sports, it's the Skinny Podcast. Now, here's Richard Skinner.
1: Welcome into the Skinny Podcast. It's the weekly potpourri edition. I'm Richard Skinner, Local12.com Digital Sports and editor with Rick Roaring. As always, it's presented by Blake, the attorney mazelin. We got some Bengals to talk about, some college football, some college basketball, gambling portion of the podcast, and then a portion where you can ask me a question on any topic Go to the Xverse hit up the hashtag AskSkinnyAnything. Rick, you had a, a long trip to Washington last week, but your Norse played well. They're coming off their first win. I know we will discuss that in much, much more after kind of a, a big first couple of nights of college basketball here this week.
0: Yeah, finally really got going. You had the, the season tipped off last week, but this week is really when you actually see some actual games that you care about and and it feels like the season's in full force. So this is a great time of year for me, unfortunately, for Bengals fans, which I'm also one of those. It, it was a tough week and we have a lot to talk about on that front. So we'll start there. We'll move to college basketball next. But skinny, this Bengals game, they lose 30-27 to to the Texans on Sunday. Now they have a short turnaround at Baltimore on Thursday night. Um, I guess the question is, did the Texans loss expose the Bengals in some way or was this more about the team dealing with injuries or is this just a Sunday in the NFL and it's one of those things and now you have a hole you got to dig yourself out of?
1: Yeah, it's a Sunday in the NFL, but it's it's a game you can't afford to lose, and now they've put themselves in a really tough spot. I mean, there's so much blame to go around. Um, you know, you can blame Joe Burrow for a couple of bad interceptions. Certainly one in the end zone was a bad interception. You can blame Tyler Boyd for a drop. You can blame the defense for giving up 544 yards. Um, and maybe you can – you and. I- I'm probably guilty of this too. You know, maybe I should tip my cap more to the Texans being a a good team. I really didn't think they were. I thought, you know, their wins were primarily over slop teams and, you know, rookie quarterback on the road, usually a dicey proposition, but um, they had a really good scheme. Um, They ran the ball down the Bengals' throat, which was disappointing because the defense took a big step backwards. And you're right, they got to find it quickly. I guess the good part is you can't brood over that loss because you had to immediately flip the switch to get ready for Baltimore on Thursday.
0: Yeah, I mean, I guess when you look at what happened in that game, the Burroughs interceptions, tough. They are what they are. I mean, you don't you know he's better than that. And so it, it kind of is just one of those things where it's like it's frustrating. It's something you got to deal with, but you move on pretty quickly from it. I think the defensive play, that's a little bit more concerning, skinny, because it felt like they were struggling earlier in the year. They had a couple good weeks where it looked like, okay, Luan Rumo got this group right. They've turned it around, and now it feels like we're back to sort of talking about some injuries with certain guys affecting them and them not being on the same page. What's going on with that defensive unit?
1: Yeah, I mean, it's a great question. The tackling was horrible. Um, it was funny. We were talking to Lou on Monday, and and uh, a question was brought up of, you know, can, can you get back to tackling drills? He said, I don't have time, but I'm going to make time because we, we have to get back to tackling better. Um, you know, uh, I thought Nick Scott was just awful in run support. I do think they miss Sam Hubbard. You know, I asked him that question. I said, it's not just one guy, you know, but, you know, how, how, how big of an absence is Sam? And he said, simply put, he's irreplaceable. And, and I think that's maybe the trickle-down effect in a game like that of missing Sam Hubbard. Well, guess what? You ain't going to have him tomorrow night either in, in, in the, in the uh, Baltimore game. And so you've got some of these young guys have got to play better. They've really got nothing out of their backups at this point. Joseph Osai hasn't done much. Miles Murphy hasn't done much. Cam Samples, Okay. Uh, I do think they missed Josh Tupelo a little bit because he can give you a little run support and uh, you know, hopefully he's back for this game. But yeah, I, I didn't see it coming. I actually wrote earlier in the week last week about the ascension of the defense combined with Burroughs' performances, why this team is back to being a Super Bowl contender. And here they are laying an egg like they did on Sunday.
0: That was just the most shocking part. And, and all of that being said, if Tyler Boyd just catches a wide open ball in the end zone, we're not having this conversation. So it's like all, all of those things happen. There are issues. There are nits to be picked. But, I mean, just catch the ball and the Bengals find a way to win that game. And we're just saying, God darn, isn't that Joe Burrow so good at finding ways to win games when you need him most? I mean, like, really, that's what it comes down to. In the NFL, you got to make that type of play if you're Tyler Boyd. It just, that, that's what those games, uh, that's how they're won or
1: lost. Yeah, we, we would have talk, talked about the opportunistic defense once again, coming up with three takeaways and Cam Tiller britt changing the game with that interception. You're right, and Joe Burrow making the miraculous comeback because it's what the Joe Burrows of the world do. But instead, you're right. I mean, the loss leads to tons of, of nitpicking, uh, not the least of which is everybody up in arms about Jamar Chase not getting targeted enough. They didn't know going into the game what they were going to have with that guy. So give me a break, those of you that think that they didn't scheme him open and all of those things because they didn't know what they had. He didn't know what he had till he could run around.
0: Yeah, I'm you know me. I'm chief among the Jamar Chase and find ways to use him, throw him the ball. as much. As well. But I mean, bringing that up after this game is ridiculous. Like, let's be honest. Come yes. on, people. Um, Skinny, when we talked before the season and you were doing your record prediction of 10 and seven, you always do uh, expected wins, expected losses and then swing games. This Texans loss wasn't expected win. they lost it. And you said that always seems to happen with at least one expected win, one expected loss. But on the flip side of that, they've already won an expected loss game at San Francisco. So, I mean, this game at Baltimore on Thursday night is really another opportunity to steal an expected loss. And if you do that, then in a lot of ways, you're kind of ahead of the curve in terms of getting to that 10 and 7 number.
1: Yeah, uh, you know, in, in fact, um, I had the Baltimore game as an expected loss and I had the Kansas City game. If we take those two into account between the likely wins and then the swing games that are left, you know, you could still get to 11 and six, for goodness sakes. It's a big ask, mind you, because um, they'd still have to win at Pittsburgh and win at Jacksonville, both, which I think they're capable of doing. But it is weird how it seems to find its way of one of those games you think a win is always ends up at a loss. And all of those games you expect as a loss ends up as a win. So it usually does come out of the swing games and they've got a couple of those still left to, to play. And you're right. If you go back and steal this one at Baltimore, then you are back ahead of the curve because you stole what was an expected loss.
0: Yeah. It, is this the most improbable road they've faced the playoff playoffs over the last three seasons?
1: I don't know. I thought coming out of the buy-in 21, I mean, right, sitting at five and four, having to go to Las Vegas, still having to go to Denver. Um, you know, if they faced what looked like an improbable task then. Still had to play San Francisco, which they did lose to in overtime, and Kansas City, which they did wind up beating. Um, it felt like an improbable run then. So it's 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 weird that this is the third straight season this team sits at five and four with kind of a Who, boy, where's this season going to go? The last two went in your favor. Is the law of averages catch up to you this year, or is it what this team is about? And that was point in my column after Sunday's game was, you know, there's a lot of blame to go around, a lot of finger pointing that should be done, but, you know, let's see what this team's made of resilience wise. They've shown us they've had backs against the wall and come out swinging. Let's see if they do it this time.
0: Yeah. Well, the chances that the Ravens lose back-to-back home games, doesn't feel great. Doesn't feel like the odds are in the Bengals favor no. there after they just lost to the Browns at home, 33-31. Uh, the Bengals also already lost to this Ravens team earlier in the season, 27-24. to Skinny, what stands out to you when you look at this matchup this time around? Do you see a reason to think it'll be much different
1: you know, I think much like the last few meetings, it feels like everything comes down to one possession. It was a one-possession game in Baltimore last year. They kicked the last-second field goal. It was a one-possession game in the playoff game that could have swung Baltimore's favor if if, uh, if Tyler Huntley goes up and over and into the end zone instead of fumbling and having Sam Hubbard run it back the other way. Um, and the game earlier this year was a, was a one-possession game, a three-point game. It just feels like that's what these teams are destined to do. Um, I do think it is a big ask without Sam Hubbard and with, at best, a limited Trey Hendrickson to ask the defensive ends of Joseph Osai, Miles Murphy, Cam Sample to to fill in admirably, I just don't feel good about that, especially with the eye candy that Lamar Jackson presents in the run game. They're not running him quite as much. He's averaging the fewest attempts he's averaged since his rookie year, but he still does those read options where, again, it's incumbent upon the end to make that read, and he still can pull it at any time and and fool you with that and get around the edge and take off. So uh, it's a big ask this week. But it's why you drafted Miles Murphy in the first round. This is what you thought of Joseph Osai and been high on him the last few years. Step up and do your job, man.
0: What's the latest on Trey Hendrickson's knee?
1: Yeah, as we're recording this, um, he did practice on Tuesday night on a limited basis. The official injury report for the game isn't out as we speak. My guess would be he'll be listed as questionable. And again, even if he does play, um, it'll probably be on a snap count. I, I can't imagine he's he's in there a ton. Heck, he might even be in there on pass rushing downs only for all I know. So, um, you know, he's still with a hyperextended knee that sounded like there was a timetable to it. And he moved that timetable up quickly and was able to practice on Tuesday, which I think is at least a sign he's trying to give it a go. But even if he does, he's not out there for 100% of the snaps. I can guarantee you that.
0: Yeah. All right. We all come back to that game and talk about our predictions when we get to the betting segment for now, we're going to move on to some college basketball talk. And we had some big games around the area over the last few nights. First among them was number 17, Kentucky falling to number one, Kansas as part of the champions classic on Tuesday night. Uh, Skinny on one hand that Kentucky loses a 14 point second half lead in this game. And you want to say, Oh, that's terrible. How does that happen? All these other things on the other hand, I can't help but watch that game and think there's a ton to like about this Kentucky team. And in a lot of ways, it's much easier to watch this team and much more fun to watch this team than it's been any time in the last several years under Calipari.
1: Yeah, I mean, you got Antonio Reeves making three of 17 shots, right? And and maybe that's just his DNA, unfortunately, that in big games he crumples up. And I I, I hate to say that because I know it's not the total sample size of Antonio Reeves, but it sure is the last two big games Kentucky's played. He can't throw one in the ocean. Um, That's the negative to it. DJ Wagner didn't do a whole lot offensively. Um, The other part to it too is Hunter Dickinson goes for 27 and 21. And then you only can imagine, well, what would have happened if you'd had at least one of the three seven footers who's unable to play. I think that's the upside to it. It's disappointing to your point. that They blew a 14 point lead. We've kind of seen Cal's teams do that at times where they get a big lead and it feels like they just kind of hope the clock runs out. I did like the style of play we've talked about that, the way they're playing without really a true post guy in there. Um, but you can't help but wonder how much could one of the one of the seven footers, and certainly if there's multiple, how much could they have negated Hunter Dickinson in a game like that?
0: That's a huge what if. And that's why for UK fans, I think you went into that game almost with the mindset of there's nothing to lose. Who really cares what the result is? Let's just see what this team has. And that's why I think the giving up the 14-point, lead in the second half is much easier to swallow because if you watched that game, quite honestly, they had no business being up by 14 points. They threw in a bunch of threes in a row there for a stretch and, and kind of built that lead and, and were able to do something because they were playing well on top of it. But uh, that lead was never going to last. And the fact that they end up losing the game sucks. But I just, I'm impressed by how many options they have on the offensive end. I mean, you mentioned Reeves struggling a bit in that game, but we all obviously know he can shoot the ball from the outside and get them some points. Dillingham lit it up from the outside. Once again, you talked about him on the last podcast. I think he's going to be great all season long. You have a Wagner. Heck, you have a guy like Reed Shepard who can come off the bench and give you a nice lift. Who I just love what he brings for them. So I think offensively, I can't get enough of the way this UK team is playing. I'm fascinated to see what it looks like when they do have to implement a couple of these bigs back into the mix. If that takes away some of the openness and the three point shooting and the the flow they have going right now or what happens. But the only other thing I would say on this game is they are going to have to sort out their end of game situations because they have all these options on offense. But I don't think they know who their guy is that they're going to rely on when it's tight late in games.
1: Yeah, you'd like it to be a Reeves because of his experience. You'd like it to be a Trey Mitchell because of his experience. But honestly, the alpha to me is Rob Dillingham, and, and, and it, it's getting clearer and clearer the more I watch him play and them play that, that, that needs to go through him. And, and that's tough for somebody. That's tough for an Edwards to swallow. That's probably tough for a DJ Wagner to swallow. That's probably tough for a Reeves and a Mitchell, who are upperclassmen, to swallow. But that dude is either going to create for himself or for somebody else, and maybe that's where it has to go through at the end of the game.
0: The Wildcats will take on Stonehill on Friday. Stonehill is one of the worst ten or fifteen programs in the country, so they they should be all right there. I, I think they, uh, didn't they, they just
1: didn't they just play UConn. Maybe I
0: think sounds right. I don't know. I think I, I, again, I won't lie. I haven't really I, kept I think, up with their schedule this year.
1: Yeah, I, I'm gonna look it up as we talk because I I, I I saw a point spread on it. Might have been Sunday. I think I saw like a forty point spread. UConn was favored by, and I swear it was Stonehill. Keep going.
0: Yeah, I mean, Stonehill, I would imagine, is playing a lot of bye games to keep their athletic department funded. But, uh, yeah, Xavier lost at number two Purdue on Monday, 83-71. The Musketeers will play Washington in the Vegas Invitational at midnight on Friday night. Skinny, th- honestly, all things considered, I thought the their performance against Purdue was fairly encouraging. I mean, they never had a chance to win it. They never really threatened in the game, but they – also were never run out of the gym and Purdue at never point was at no point was covering the 16 and a half or 17 point spread. Um, Xavier was always within striking distance and you felt like had they been able to knock down some shots and, and get on a little bit of a run, they might've had a chance to pull an upset in that game.
1: Yeah, I, I think the key is, and you got a couple of nice performances off the bench, but, but you know, what else can you get scoring wise out of the lineup? And, and I think that was the, 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 the part of the problem. You were never going to guard Zach Eady in that game. So you just chalk that up to that is what it is. And I do think that uh, Purdue has every part necessary to win a national championship. They always find a way to flub it up, but they literally have every part, Rick. They're they're to me, honestly, they might be the most complete team roster wise in the country. Maybe it's because they do have a legit threat in, in Edie inside. And then they got a lot of parts around him and bench depth too. So I, I yeah, if I'm a Xavier fan, I'd be really encouraged by that game.
0: I I agree with you about Purdue and the encouragement and everything like that. The only thing I'll say about them winning a national championship, and I think you have seen this last year and other years as well with his teams, they do not have the most dynamic guards. They don't have the most athletic guards. And I think in the NCAA tournament, when the refs aren't willing to foul a big man out in the first half, and they're not willing to send Zach Eadie to the free throw line constantly early in that game, All of a sudden, you need your guards to step up and do a little more, and it's easier to take Zach Eady out as the go-to player. And I think that's the issue they face at times. So, I mean, that's another conversation for another day, but um, that that would be my only take on Purdue. What you said is absolutely true, though. Purdue is very complete. They know absolutely who they are right now. This wasn't you're playing a Purdue team who isn't ready to reach their potential this early in the year. No, they're a championship-caliber team right now as we sit here in mid-November. So it was a great test for Xavier, and I think – In a lot of ways, it eased concerns for fans that this team may be awful. I mean, you mentioned on last week's podcast you thought they might not go 500. Where are you at now? Did this change your opinion on that at least?
1: Yeah, I do do think in this event they're going to, and after you saw Washington play, I think you'd be encouraged by Xavier going up against Washington. I'm sure NKU played really well that night to stay within striking distance of Washington, but it also, no offense, Washington shouldn't let an NKU stay within striking distance of it if Xavier's not a better team. So I don't think you can go out and get swept in this thing. Um, And you still probably have to steal that win against Cincinnati in the Crosstown shootout. But, yeah, I I feel much better about them because even inside the league, UConn, maybe Marquette on its best day is on par with Purdue. And I know you can't always equate November games with January, February games. I get that. Teams obviously evolve or devolve one way or the other. But I I do, again, I think it was a really encouraging sign the way they played against, as you mentioned, a team that – kind of knows what it is already. It's not a team that's trying to figure it out. I mean, Purdue's kind of got it, figured it out with the core that came back. So uh, I think that was really encouraging because you don't know what you got yet in Xavier.
0: Xavier has to win one in Vegas. They have to win one of those games, I think. It doesn't really matter which one. It could be the first one against Washington. It could be the consolation game if you lose against Washington, against San Diego State or St. Mary's. All of those games feel pretty similar to me. I don't think there's a huge difference, but you can't go over two in this event. Otherwise... St. Mary's is good, but they also lost to Weber State and are unranked now. So yeah, it took a little nice. bit of a luster right. off that You're potential right. matchup. Um, but I, yeah, I, any of these games are going to be solid enough games and turn your strength to schedule and all that. It's not really about that as much as it is just counting wins. If, if you lose two here, then you get into a situation where it's like you lose that Houston game. If you lose the cross-down shootout, now we are potentially talking about the scenario you laid out last week where you end up under 500 if you have a bad conference stretch. So. Uh, we will continue to monitor Xavier as they've got a big weekend ahead of them. NKU skinny. They are one and two now after losses at Middle Tennessee State and Washington, and then a win over Division Three DePaul on Tuesday night. Basically, my take on NKU is this right now. They had one really bad half to start the season at Middle Tennessee State, and then since then, they've played three good halves and two meaningless halves of basketball because who cares about a Division III? Right three opponent in DePaul right but I, I I would not be discouraged at all by the record right now
1: yeah no I I mean listen I I would have told you if the season started I would have said they're one and two sitting right now I mean um you know I asked you the other day on a, on a text message was NKU just that bad or was Middle Tennessee that good and you said bad for a half which later down what 36 21 at the half or whatever the heck it was but you also said I think Middle Tennessee's pretty good and they've they've had a nice run here of late and listen Washington's still a uh, a a, a pack, uh, you know, it's a long as exists, a Pac-12 school, you're not going there and winning a game like that. You, you know, maybe a pipe game. I know James Madison beat a Michigan State. I get that, but that's a big, that's still a big ask. And the fact that they played pretty well was a good sign.
0: Yeah, Washington's kind of a unique team for a mid-major team to match up with too, because we've seen Severe Wheeler. He's not a great high-major player. But he is a tough guard for mid major opponents because he's so fast and just a weird body type, being as strong and, and stocky as he is. And uh, he can really pass, pass the ball. And like, uh, they have three guys that are essentially seven feet tall. I mean, one's like 6'10 or 6'11, but the other two are over seven feet. So all of their centers are at that seven foot level, which is difficult for a mid major team. And then Keon Brooks is fantastic. I mean, he's a really difficult guard yeah. for anyone, much less a mid major team that doesn't have, you know, a 6'9 athletic forward to guard him. So uh, they are a A really tough matchup for NKU. NKU did a good job against them, but I think uh, moving forward to that matchup with Xavier, Xavier should be all right, you would think. Looking at the Cincinnati game this weekend, Skinny, this is a matchup that, quite honestly, when you look at UC's schedule this year, this is a big game. This is a big game in this city, not only just because NKU upset them last year, but UC, they don't have many big games this year. It's like Dayton. Xavier, Georgia Tech just lost to I don't know, some terrible team last night. So there that's gonna be a god awful game. And they go to Howard. I mean, there just aren't really many big games on the schedule. This game is a home game for UC and it has some juice. I think there's gonna be a little bit of an atmosphere for this game on Sunday.
1: I do, too. I'm, I'm with you. I'm with you in that regard, um, because for UC, you know, you, you you you've got payback in mind. If you're West Miller, you can't allow this to happen on your home floor for a second straight year. It didn't happen on their home floor last year, but you can't lose to NKU for a second straight year and the second loss be on your home floor. And for a team that doesn't have a great non-conference schedule, I know they can pick up some certainly some juice in the Big 12. If they win games in the Big 12, um, you can't afford a slip up in the non-con. You just can't. Could you afford losing to a Xavier team that will be on the bubble for an NCAA tournament? Sure. Can you afford to lose the rest? Probably not.
0: Right. When I look at matchups in this game, the one thing I have my eye on more than anything is the point guard spot. You've got Michael Bradley coming up from a division two and he's played pretty well early on for NKU, but it's a big jump and he's not a very athletic player. He's more of a cerebral, kind of a little bit slower footed, gets to his spots, hits mid-range jumpers type of guy. And then on the other side, you've got a Juco transfer for Cincinnati and Day Day Thomas, who he's been a pleasant surprise in my opinion. He has impressed me. He's a really athletic player. And I think that could be a tough matchup for Bradley and NKU. Now NKU is not going to play man to man. They'll be in their matchup zone. So it won't be a one-on-one situation, match-up but zone, that's yeah. the, the the individual matchup head to head that I really have my eye on is those two point guards.
1: And, and remember last year, UC didn't attack it worth a damn.
0: Yeah. Against that defense, they really struggled in the second half. I think they only had 11 points or 12 points in the second half of that game. So yeah. no question. The, you know, the other guy for UC that I think could be important in this matchup that they didn't have last year because he was injured is John Newman. I'm not sure about him starting long-term for this UC team, but he is a good athlete and a good defender, and he's the type of longer, more athletic player that has given Marquez Warwick trouble on the offensive end because they can can take him out of this game with a little more athleticism and physicality. If John Newman can provide that for UC on the defensive end, that'd be a big deal compared to last year because they didn't have a great answer defensively last year for, for NKU.
1: I will say this, though. This will clearly be the best team UC's played so far.
0: Yeah. Oh yeah, without question. I mean, speaking of which, they're 3-0 and after wins over UIC, Detroit Mercy, and Eastern Washington so far. Um, I mentioned Day-Day Thomas being a pleasant surprise, but aside from that, Skinny, the offense for UC has really kind of been evenly distributed. And I don't know if that's a good sign of, hey, maybe they have more options and more guys willing to step up than we thought, or if it's more of a thing of like, yeah, you got three or four guys scoring in double figures against UIC, Detroit Mercy, and Eastern Washington – But do you just lack a true go to score when you start facing real competition? And that's what we're going to find out. But right now, if I'm a UC fan, I'm definitely betting on the former. Like I'm pleasantly, uh, I don't know, pleasantly surprised, but I'm encouraged by the fact that multiple guys are stepping up and scoring right now.
1: Yeah, and you really haven't gotten a ton out of Victor Lockett offensively. I'm not asking for a ton, but, it, but I, I would expect more, especially against the level of competition. And you haven't gotten a ton out of that spot at the moment. So, um, yeah, and I, I do think that they do have guys who can who can score individually. Um, you know, Jizzle can score. Dan Skilling's has shown he can score. I, I think those day to day. Time, I mean, that, that's that is a nice sign. But to your point, when the game is on the line and you've got to have a bucket, or you've got to have somebody carry you for a stretch against a, a really good team. Who is that guy? I just don't know who that is at the moment. And I don't think they do either.
0: Yeah. I do think CJ Frederick knocking down some outside shots is helping their offense a little bit because last year it seemed like they struggled to find a reliable shooter.
1: Yeah, Rick, I, I do too, but I just don't think he's ever going to carry an offense.
0: Right. Yeah, I agree with that. He sh- he's probably shouldn't be your go-to scorer, but I do think it's just helping them get more spacing and, and better ball movement sure. because he's high IQ and he can actually knock down some threes with consistency. So, all right, that's probably good on the college basketball play. side look- of things. Go, go ahead. Yeah,
1: he, and I will say he looks much more relaxed than he did at Kentucky. I mean, I, and good for him. I'm, I, I hope this works out for him because it was a, it was a rough stretch for him at UK for, for sure. I did look it up, Rick, by the way. Stonehill's last two games, that's Kentucky's opponent on Friday – they lost to St. Joe's 100 to 56 and UConn 107 to 67. Ouch.
0: Oh, good. So they're they're properly tuned up for the ass kicking that they'll face at Rupp Arena on Friday nights. Exactly. Yes. All right. Exactly. College football. Cincinnati picked up its first Big 12 win by knocking off Houston on the road 24-14. They are at West Virginia this Saturday. Uh, skinny. I, I didn't have much faith that this UC team was going to find a way to win a big 12 game as the season continued, but at no point the season, can you say that they've quit? They've kept battling. They keep showing up each week and they, they try to execute their game plan. And, and this week, finally, they got one. I mean, they, they played pretty well in this game. they really ran the football effectively.
1: Yeah. I thought they quit a little bit in the Oklahoma state game, to be honest with you. And I, I heard that from others too, but to your, to your point, um, you know, if they'd have packed it in for good, you'd have seen that in the Houston game for sure. And they didn't. Yeah. Uh, listen, Houston's not good. I got a chance to watch them play Kansas State while I was on a flight, and, and it was the game that was on, and they just were horrifically bad. And the crazy drunk on the sideline is just a terrible coach. But, you know, they, they, they honestly – it' good for UC to get the win. And – you know, I don't know if they win either of these last two games because one's on the road, as you mentioned, at West Virginia and Kansas is is pretty good, even though it it got beaten in a horrific manner the uh, last, this past Saturday and they're banged up at quarterback at the moment. But, yeah, I mean, it would have been awful to go into this offseason 2-10 and 10 and 0 for the Big 12 and going into your second year with with really one of the storylines being when will you pick up your first Big 12 win.
0: Yeah. I also like seeing Corey Kiner have such a great game. 129 yards on the great. ground, two touchdowns. Yeah, he, he looked good. It's just a cool story. Like at some point, you wanted to see this guy get it going and really play well, and it seems like that hopefully is going to happen here for him.
1: Yeah, I think he's going to go over a thousand yards. It may not be this week. I think he needs a little over a hundred in two games. So it looks like he's he's going to finish the year with over a thousand yards. And uh, good for him. What a year!
0: Yeah, cool story. Uh, Ohio State beat Michigan State thirty-eight to three. They did cover that spread, which was big, but we didn't get to the over even though Ohio State did most of the scoring that we would have needed uh they will host Minnesota on Saturday. Skinny Georgia did jump Ohio State in the college football playoff rankings this past week. They are now number 1, Ohio State's number 2. You were saying when the original rankings came out that you thought Georgia should have been first. So I would assume that you uh you was, this is the way it should have been all along in your opinion, right?
1: Yeah, um, but but I I get the flip flopping. I don't. Th- I think it has less to do with Ohio State. I mean, it was an impressive win. They pulled starters. I mean, they could have made that fifty. I wish they would have, mind you. Trust me, I really wish they would have. Based on the ticket, I had to crumble up. Um, uh, you know, kept the starters in and pushed the over. But I get it. I mean, to, to the credit of them, they just get out of that healthy and and all those things. You did what you needed to do. But I think it was more about how impressive Georgia was in its win over a a, a major opponent, a highly ranked opponent. And I think that's that was the story of that.
0: Well, yeah. In Georgia, the last what two weeks or two out of the last three weeks, they've now had two ranked wins that give them the yeah. strength of schedule and the quality of resume to legitimately say, OK, yeah, they've they've done enough to, to be the number one team. And I think that's fair. I like that the college football playoff ranking committee does it that way based on merit a little bit more so than other polls do. Maybe skinny. Is it crazy to talk about Marvin Harrison as being the best Buckeye ever. I asked that because I listened to an Ohio state podcast this past week and they were having that conversation on the podcast. And and at first I was like, come on guys, let's relax. But then I thought about it for a little bit and he is so damn dominant. Like I know Archie Griffin exists. I know there's several other names that you (laughs) can throw out there in Ohio state's history, but I mean, maybe it's not a crazy question to be asking. Hop along Cassidy. That's I you can go on and on. Like, there's probably 10 names that you can throw out right now that are elite, elite players. Vic Janowitz. Go look them up. I actually went through the list. Yeah. Like, there's been so many stories published of the best Ohio State players of the last five decades sure. or whatever, things like that. I've looked through all of those and I'm like, God, there are a lot of names. I mean, I don't know how you choose just one. For me, it'd probably be Archie Griffin, either. just because. It's you know, you got the notoriety to it. But I mean, honestly, Marvin Harrison's as dominant as a player that I can think of at his position.
1: Well, and again, that position also reliant on a quarterback and, and you know, common court isn't exactly shown that he's he's high caliber. He's certainly done a good job managing and all of those things. Um, you know, I think a lot of this is because Marvin Harrison is so damn talented and you know that teams are clouding him every time they possibly can. And still, I mean, there were times, remember, earlier this year where the offense was sputtering in the first half because they tried to run the ball and decided, OK, got to win this game. So let's go to Marvin. And there he is making big play after big play. And and that's why I think we talked about this like three or four weeks ago. I, he, to me, because some of these quarterbacks have petered out, he, he'd get my heisman trophy vote.
0: Me too. Without question, he is the Heisman, in my opinion. You hear, you know, all, like the NFL guys, we talked about this with Chase and the back stuff. It's like, oh, double coverage, bracketed, all that stuff. You don't think Marvin Harrison has seen every coverage known to mankind this year? It does not matter. They just, hell, they uh, ran a reverse or an end around or whatever it was uh, on Saturday to get him a touchdown a run. I mean, he just, you put the ball in his hands, you you put the ball in his vicinity to let him have a chance to make a play on it. And more times than not, he's going to do so. Um, you mentioned McCord skinny. Oh, go ahead. Do you have something on Harrison? No, no. You can. Okay. You you mentioned McCord. Um, the other thing that I was hearing some Ohio State fans talk about this week on a call-in show was they seem to be much higher on him all of a sudden and think he's been playing a lot better. I wouldn't necessarily argue with that. I do think he's played well the last few weeks and made some really good throws. But my concerns about him aren't really related to whether or not he can be to be elite against a Minnesota or a Rutgers or a Michigan state. It has to do with when you face an elite defense like Michigan or Georgia, can he handle the pressure that those teams are going to put on him and still play like this? And I just don't think we really have an answer to that right now because these types of teams aren't putting that pressure on him.
1: But I also go back to the one thing he doesn't do. and, And listen, I don't want to put him in Craig Krenzel territory. Although Craig Krenzel still made one of the great throws of all time in Ohio State history against Purdue the year they won a national championship. I mean, he's not that that game manager-ish, but he doesn't make mistakes. And when you have that defense as dominant as it can be, um, you know, and maybe it won't be when it faces Michigan. Maybe it won't be if it goes in the college football playoff and plays a higher caliber offense. But for the most part, again, we, this, that we're both high on that on that defense. Don't put them in peril. Don't don't do anything dumb. And I think he does a really good job of that and occasionally making a big throw or two along the way.
0: That's a good point. And the rest of the time you just yeah. gotta I just, the ball he's, to he's, Harrison and go. Yeah, he's throwing
1: four picks yeah, in yeah, 288 good. attempts. It's pretty good.
0: That's pretty good. All right, Kentucky Skinny. They got rolled by the tide. 49-21. It was ugly. They traveled to South Carolina for a Saturday night game. I'm not sure if there's anything worth talking about from the Alabama game, but I do want to say it's clear that Mark Stoops does not like Shane Beamer. And I am here for this. I think this is hilarious.
1: Yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm looking forward to seeing, will there be a post game handshake or even a pregame? You know, they always go to midfield and the coaches will talk. Will there be any of that? It, it, it sure doesn't seem like it, right?
0: Yeah. Well, the, one of the funniest things that coaches do, I don't know why people do this. It like we're grown adults. They have no problem making these statements to the media in public and, and puffing their chest out and thinking they're getting a dig on a guy. Last year, he made some comments about Shane Beamer wearing sunglasses and he was basically like calling him a clown. Yep. And uh, it was very obvious that that's who he was referring to. And then Shane Beamer beat him and wore sunglasses in the locker room afterwards. And was like, hot, like, you know, get a shoving it back in his face, which is great. Like that's how trash talk should go. And now this year people are saying, Hey, it doesn't seem like you and, and Shane Beamer like each other. And Mark Stoops is like, I have no idea where you would get that idea. That's, Crazy to say like okay, now it's obvious you clearly don't like him because you're denying it that that's correct vehemently. And and second of all, why? Why do you have to do this? You said something dumb about him last year, he threw it back in your face after he beat you. You can either leave it at that and laugh about it, or you can be like, No, I genuinely don't like the guy, and we're going to we're I'll take shots at him again this year. But like doing the whole getting mad at reporters for asking the question and acting like there's no history between you two is just silly. Why do people
1: do that? It is so. I will say the stakes of this game, though, are, are pretty high for, for Mark Stoops. He's not in danger of losing his job, but I, I think the fan base is, has hit a bit of a wall here. Um, listen, it's, it's been a disappointing season. I, I can look back at these losses in retrospect. Alabama's, you're not beating them. Georgia, you're not beating them. It's disappointing to lose to Missouri and Tennessee, but the more Missouri plays, the more legit it looks. And one of Tennessee's losses, actually, two of Tennessee's losses are to, actually, three of Tennessee's are to Georgia. Alabama and Missouri, and I think they're legit. So I can, I can live with those four losses. I'm not sure I could live with a loss at South Carolina. We'll find out what the Louisville game brings and whatever you know the bowl brings, and that's become such a afterthought anymore with guys opting out left and right. Um, this would be a disappointing one to lose because you still – Rick, you could still wind up with a losing record this year if you lose this one, the Louisville game, and a bowl game, and that would be highly disappointing for where this team was and the expectations for this team when the year started.
0: That will be looked at, back at as a disappointing, or I mean, an embarrassing season yes. for Mark Stoops if they end up with a losing record. I mean, there's just no way around that.
1: Yeah, and the, and the flip side is you can still wind up nine and four, and when you look back and go, "All right, they lost to Alabama and Missouri having a special year, and Tennessee's just better," and obviously Georgia, I can live with that. Not right. happy about it. Not the it. end of the
0: it is funny how much this game could potentially flip the entire narrative of the season. And Louisville will play a big role in that, too. But these last two games will definitely change sure. how we view this entire season and where Mark Stoops is at in this program. So uh, anything else on the college football front, Skinny?
1: Um, No, I think we covered it.
0: All right, let's. Uh, yeah, we will skip past the Michigan stuff for for the time being, once again. Uh, although that is just tremendous theater. I, I mean, it, it's like it's continue. I don't think I can think of another scandal that has lasted this long and been this entertaining the entire time. Jim Bob, Jim
1: died, and we won this game for him. man we <laughs> for him, and he's dead. He's not dead. Was that the funniest
0: interview you've ever seen? It was honestly, it was ridiculous. Was what it was. Ridiculous. Yeah, say it. Man cussed like fourteen times in thirty seconds. No fuck yeah. I don't even know. Whatever his coach being suspended and them winning. I'm. I'm not sure what he was crying for. It was so bizarre. Uh.
1: Somebody needs to tell him, as the head coach, when you get interviewed after a game, that there's a little line of decorum you must have. Okay, there, you know you can you can curse with your guys, and you can maybe drop a, a a suitable curse. You can't do that, my man. I mean, you have to understand the role of a head coach. You are still you you have to have some level of decorum there, chief.
0: Well, and. I think you can get away with one like you can drop that first F-bomb, say it and be like, oh, what sure. a passionate moment. But when you come back and then drop the S-word like 10 seconds later, now it's just like, all right, what's this guy doing? Just randomly cussing on TV for the fun of it. It's, it's strange. And now when you're up for a head coaching job, if you ever have that opportunity, people are going to be calling this. it. Like people are definitely going to look at that interview and be like, this is not a head coach. This guy is not head coach material. Sorry, no. it's just how it
1: works. You literally would have thought that Jim Harbaugh had died the day before, not been suspended, that he somehow passed away and the kids won it for him.
0: I I thought it was like, remember the Titans when the the guy gets hit in the the car crash, you know, and then they have to play the state game. He's in his in his hospital room. I thought that's what was going on with Jim Harbaugh for a second. Then I had to be reminded, oh, no, he's just a cheater and he's suspended for cheating. That's what happened.
1: Exactly. What a what a clown.
0: Yeah. All right. Let's get into our betting picks for the week. I was four and four this past week. You were three and five. I mean, just you want to be good or you want to be bad if you're doing a betting segment. That way the people can follow your picks or fade them. And uh, we are giving people none of the above. So you are now 40, 34 and two overall. I am 38, 36 and two. And uh, we'll start with the NFL this week because the Bengals have a Thursday night game, 8-15 the Ravens are a four-point favorite in that one. The total is 46.
1: All right, one thing here, too. I just got the Bengals injury report. I mean, it, it, people are going to know it by the time they probably listen to this podcast. But but um, Trey Hendrickson is not on it at all. He's not even listed as questionable. That is absolutely stunning to me. Um, in fact, he was a full participant in today's walkthrough as well. Now, this is just a walkthrough. But he was a full participant, and he's not listed on the injury report. T. Higgins and obviously – uh, Sam Hubbard are out. Andre Yoshibosh is, is is also out. But Josh Tupo is back and Hendrickson is at least, he's not even questionable. So pretty stunning there. And maybe because of that and because of the way these two teams play, the four points feels like a gift. I think it comes down to a field goal possession either way. Um, I think it creeps barely over the total. I'm going to go Baltimore 23, Bengals 20, just because of the home field advantage. The fact the Bengals have lost 14 straight primetime road games now, the flip side is, and I saw this stat this week too, I believe Joe Burrow's last 13 games as an underdog, I think he's either 12-1 and or 12-0-1, which is pretty stunning um, to me. So it's pick your poison. Is it the Joe Burrow stat you take or is it the negative primetime stat you take? I'm going somewhere in the middle and the Bengals cover.
0: I am going to ride the Joe Burrow train because not only of the underdog stat that you just threw out there, but this feels like the situation where the Joe, the Joe Joe Burrow narrative either continues to be just otherworldly and just a total fantasy uh, storybook career that he has going on here, where every time his back is up against the wall and every time it feels like you're about to count him and his team out, he finds a way to lead them back and win. I think that's real. I want to believe in it. I'm going with my heart here and saying the Bengals find a way to win this game. And I do like the under here because if you look at the games between these two teams the last few years, you have like the one game where the Bengals put up 100 million yards or whatever it was. And uh, we were making against, fun against
1: of— uh, ninth and
0: tenth Yeah, we were making fun of that guy they call Wink. Uh, but— th- Usually these games are low scoring. The Bengals hold them right around 20 points or under. So I'm going to go Bengals 21, Ravens 17, Bengals and the under for me. All right. Saturday at 2.30 PM, we've got Cincinnati at West Virginia. The Mountaineers are a six and a half point favorite. The total is 54 and a half.
1: Yeah, I, I think, it, you know, going on the road back to back weeks is, is tough. West Virginia's coming off an ugly game itself at, at Oklahoma, but I think being back at home, um, I, I hate to do this. I mean, you, you you could think UC's got a little momentum going, but it also to me almost feels like, hey, we got our win. We did what we needed to do, and now they're going on the road. I just think it's a big, big ask here. I'm going to go West Virginia 34, UC 20.
0: 3420 so that is actually the under by half a point as well so you're going West Virginia and the under I like West Virginia here too I think this is going to be a fairly close game but this has actually been a, a nice season for West Virginia they were a team where their coach was on the hot seat coming in and uh, I think a lot of people thought they could have been one of the worst teams in the Big 12 and they still might be, but they've found a way to win enough games to have an above 500 record. And I think overall, the, the vibes are pretty positive there. So uh, especially when you compare it to the situation in their, their basketball program, everyone is still very much in football mode uh, out in West Virginia right now. So I'm going to go West Virginia in the under here. 28-21 for me, the final score. That brings us to Saturday at 4 p.m. We've got Minnesota at Ohio State. The Buckeyes are a 27 and a half point favorite, and the total is 49.
1: Minnesota just is not going to be able to score in this game, in my opinion. It'll, it'll again, it'll. I don't even know if it. it it's going to be Ohio State's going to put the point total up here. I'll go. I'm going to go Ohio State. In the end. I'm going to go Buckeyes 34, Minnesota three.
0: 34 to three. So this is very, that's like basically what happened in the Michigan state game. Ohio state scores all the points, but they give up nothing and you go under either way. Um, you're on Ohio state and the under here. I like Ohio state to cover the big number. Once again, I'm going 45, 13 though. I, I think this game gets over. It didn't happen last week, but you look at Minnesota scores. They've just been given up an insane amount of points the last few weeks. Uh, I'm going to think Ohio state basically gets that number themselves here this week. So if uh, otherwise I'll just be burnt two weeks in a row, betting Ohio state overs Saturday, seven 30, we've got Kentucky. Well, we've got Kentucky still. Oh, forgot. Kentucky, yep. Yep. Kentucky yep. at South Carolina, the Wildcats are a two point favorite. The total is 54.
1: Well, Kentucky, because it can't play defense at the moment. And South Carolina can't play defense either. I, I feel like this game soars over the total. Uh, Again, this is a game Kentucky should win. They did get a win on the road at Mississippi State. Mississippi State is terrible, but South Carolina isn't much better. I think Kentucky does go on the road. They do give up some points, but I think the offense rolls in this one. I'll go Kentucky 34-27, so Kentucky in the over.
0: 34-27. So if you look at these two teams, they have been over teams this year, and defensively they are not very good, and so that's led to a lot of high scores in their games. Something about these two teams, though, I can't look at them and say they're going to end up with more than 54 points. Like, I, I have a 28 to 24 score here that I'm sitting on. I like Kentucky to win the game and to cover. But even then, that puts you at 52 points. And it's like, do I really right. want to tack on another touchdown to either one of these two teams? I don't. That just seems I, the, the total seems too high to me. I, I know what you just said. I don't even think that's wrong based on what we've seen all year. But for some reason, I just can't bring myself to put these two teams over 54 points. So. I'm going to Kentucky in the under here, 28-24. What's your best bet, Skinny?
1: All right, I go back to my four-team teaser. I, I, I love them in the NFL. I'm going to take Detroit. This is, is going to be a six-and-a-half-point teaser. Detroit against Chicago, their nine-point favorite, take them down to two-and-a-half. Taking Green Bay at home against the Chargers up to nine-and-a-half because the Chargers are going to charge her and keep every game close. The one I'm a little scared about, I'm going to take Houston from minus five to one-and-a-half-point underdog against Arizona, which has a little more juice because Kyler Murray's back, but it's still a bad, bad football team. I know they did come up with a, with a win this past week. And then I'm going to take Jacksonville at home down to a pick them against Tennessee.
0: All right, so that's Detroit, Green Bay, Houston, and Jacksonville back with your four-team teaser. This is a six-and-a-half-point teaser you did mention, so not the, the typical Correct. six-point teaser. I'm actually going six-and-a-half-point teaser as well this week. I'm going to go on the college football side of things. This one, you're going to be paying a little bit of juice for. It's like minus 130, I believe, to do a a -a two-team, six-and-a-half-point teaser in college. I'm going Ohio State down to 21, and Florida up to 18-and-a-half against Missouri.
1: Ooh. I know know Missouri's good. Yeah, but I don't think they are three touchdowns better than Florida.
0: 18-and-a-half is just too much in that matchup. Uh, Sorry like I I just don't see it Yeah I I love that Pushing that up to 18 and a half number it feels I feel like that's automatic to cover Um, The Ohio State one I'm honestly more Concerned about going in so um, That's that's what it is six and a half point Teaser Ohio State to 21 Florida to 18 and a half and that Is our best bets of the week and we've got an Extended version of ask skinny anything This week so let's jump into that If you could pick any former Bengals player to be on this year's team skinny Who would you pick and why
1: David Fulcher at safety because he's terrific in the run game. And he's also a ball hawk on the back end. Um, I think they – listen, I probably soft shoot the loss of Jesse Bates and Von Bell more than most because I really thought um, it wasn't going to be that great of a loss. But, honestly, Nick Scott has just not been very good, and Jordan Battle is simply not ready to play. I think Daxell's done his part for the most part, um, but that other safety spot is really lacking at the moment. So give me David Fulcher back on this roster.
0: All right. What about your ranking of basketball teams in Cincinnati and N K Y area
1: for high school?
0: I assume this is college.
1: College. Um us yeah. yeah, see. We'll, we'll both do this. I'll go this order, and and obviously one of these rankings is going to be determined on say so I'll go. I'll go. We're just ranking the four, right? Yep. I'll go UK, Xavier, UC, and NKU. And obviously NKU and UC are playing for that third seed at the moment. And then NKU and then Xavier and UC will decide the other one. I, No offense, I'm not trying to be a jerkwad here because I could have told you last year I thought Xavier was better than Kentucky. I mean, Kentucky's light years better than those others.
0: I feel the same way. I think it's Kentucky, clear gap. Then it's UC and Xavier pretty close. And then it's NKU a bit behind them, but... In a one-game scenario, as we might find out this Sunday, who knows? So uh, we'll keep our eye yep. on that. What's the most amount of wings you've eaten in one sitting?
1: Um, probably probably 18, because I think it's the biggest order I could get at, at, at uh, Buffalo Wings and Rings, and I'm not sure I would have wanted to do more than that. I'm now down to I'll get the medium order and probably eat six to eight and have enough left over, five five or so for lunch. The next day so but but in the day yeah um a a full a full sitting of 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 18 i honestly that might have been that might have been bw3s and and i don't want to besmirch them but their wings are much smaller than than buffalo wings and rings so um yeah again i had 18 of those and you can take that for what it's worth
0: back in the day they used to do uh all you can eat wings at hooters on uh, wednesdays or thursdays
1: oh Oh, i remember i I tried. you know what i did try that you're right yes i did try it was like
0: it was like 20 bucks and maybe a little bit more and they would give you 20 wings to start with and then they'd bring you a plate of yep. 10 for each subsequent play i remember that so i think at one point i did at least like 28 or 29 like i remember getting to the second plate getting mostly through it and then just being like i'm not even attempting any more than this so
1: yeah i think gamble and i tried that with another buddy of ours after a softball game once down at the hooters on in uh, in Newport. Um, I don't remember the exact count that we got to, but I do recall doing that. And I do. It's funny. I love their wings. I I haven't been to a Hooters in a long time, but I really do like their wings. And they're usually pretty big.
0: Well, that's the problem with Hooters wings doing the all you can eat is they're the big breaded wings. So it's like you can't. I mean, that's not an all you can eat situation. That's like you just need 10 or 12 of them and you're good. You know, Um, if you like the breaded wings, the the place you got to go to is O'Brien's. O'Brien's has tremendous breaded wings. You got you got to get them breaded,
1: though. Yeah, no, outstanding, absolutely outstanding.
0: Yeah, uh, curious what y'all's go-to midnight snack drink is. With Xavier playing at twelve AM Eastern Friday night, Saturday morning, I figured I'd reach out for recommendations,
1: suggestions, etc. So here's the sad part for me: I, I I'd probably would be be bourbon at night, and then I'm probably asleep. I'm asleep by midnight most nights because because of that. But if I was trying to stay up. I'd probably grab a handful of Oreos and a giant glass of milk if I was trying to stay up.
0: Nice. That feels like very much a halftime thing. If the game's going well, Um, if it's not, then I think you just make another bourbon. That would be
1: yeah. And then you and then you say and then you lay lay down on the couch and say night night.
0: Yeah, an an early night maybe for you. But uh, snacks wise, late night. I'm just I'm a big chip and dip guy. Period. Like whether it be uh, chips and cheese or. Uh, typical pretzels and, and French onion dip or whatever. It's just like you got to dip, I think, that late.
1: Yeah. So so mine, if I do something like that, and I'm not a big nighttime snacker. I'm I'm really not. I don't usually eat dinner to like 8 or 9 o'clock at night because of my schedule. So dinner's pushed back so late that it really doesn't require a snack later. But for whatever reason, I, I, I like little pretzel sticks with the dipping sauce of, of yellow mustard with Frank's Red Hot mixed together. And then you just dip the pretzels in those. I'm telling you. Try it.
0: I've never done that before, but I will be trying it tonight. I will say, like, there's that's going to happen. I don't understand why that would be good, but I've I'm very much a trier. If I hear about something and someone else says it's good, I've got to do it once. So I will be trying. Okay, good old mustard and Frank's Red Hot.
1: Yep, good old yellow, just yellow, regular yellow mustard with Frank's Red Hot. Mix it around really good. I'm telling you, you'll thank me. Text, text me when you taste it.
0: I will. I will. I, sounds up my alley. I like hot sauce. I'm not a huge mustard guy, but we'll figure it out. Uh, how do you cook your bacon, Skinny?
1: I'm kind of on that medium side. I don't like it overly crisp. I don't like it, that underdone where it still doesn't look like it's it's cooked. There's a fine line for me, um, and I usually do it in the microwave. I can do it on the stovetop, and I've done that before, too. It's usually easier to control, but in the interest of time, I usually just pop it in the microwave. Um, I'm, I'm not a huge breakfast guy. I will say... Um, the, the spread at Paul Brown stadium on game days is not the best, but I do love me some Paul Brown stadium press box bacon. It's some of the best around.
0: It's crispy. It's crispy bacon.
1: Yeah, but it's, it's it's kind of in that middle to me. They, they, I I try to stay away from the crispier pieces. there's, There's ones you can pick out that are just the right, just the right texture and, and, and doneness for, for my liking.
0: I prefer my bacon to be like the wiggly, the underdone bacon, the not crisp bacon, But regardless of where it is on the spectrum, it's got to have like the fat bubbles. You know, if you've cooked all the fat bubbles, out, it's just like the hard, dark pieces of bacon. That's no good. It's got to at least have those weird, fat, bubbly pieces.
1: That's the tasty part. Yes.
0: Yeah. You got to have that. Uh, Can skinny power rank the Bengals beat writers on their ability to chug a beer? This obviously stems from you being iced but it was actually bud lighted where you are forced to chug a bud light in the press box
1: at uh san francisco i believe in san francisco yes correct and yeah. i did it i did it so I, I in the interest of that i'm going to rank myself number one until somebody can show me otherwise right i'm, I'm i got that's right number easy number one you've proven it yeah I, yeah i'm gonna put it because i've drank with both these guys they're, they're world class 2a and 2b would be jay morrison and, and paul dayner and i'm not sure in what order i would i would put them
0: um, oh, Daner first in a I chugging thing, Rapine- right? He's just got a bigger frame and bigger mouth. I feel like that leads to easier chug ability.
1: Correct. Um, I'll, I'll yeah. put James Rapine probably right behind them at number four. Um, really? Yeah, he's, he's number four. Ben Baby isn't a big beer drinker. He's more of a liquor guy. I, I'd put him behind – I'd put Charlie Goldsmith probably five, even though I haven't seen Charlie chug, but but Charlie will have a beer or two. And then Mike Petralia and uh, – and, and probably Ben or, or, or near the bottom. I do have to. I have to get Kelsey Conway to. I want to see what she would do if I iced her. I haven't. I've seen her drink, but I haven't seen her. That's chug. What maybe, she, maybe she move up, up, up them the rankings quicker. Them. Yeah, I, I'm gonna put her ahead of Ben and Mike. Actually.
0: Okay. Okay. All right. Uh, what is the worst question you ever asked to an athlete or coach, and the answer? And what is the best question you've ever asked, and the answer?
1: Well, I, I thought it was the worst question ever because of the reaction I got to it. And and in retrospect, it was, and I was a young, uh, I was doing UK games on the radio for the student station while I was in college. And because of that, I was allowed to go to Joe B. Hall's. and they used to have a press luncheon um, before games. And it was literally just Joe at a big head of a table and the writers and, and brought whoever else was there kind of around the table. And then you'd ask him some questions. And so it was when James Blackman was a freshman and he he played pretty well early. Then he started getting benched. And I just simply asked the question of, you know, do you feel like, you know, James's progress has been stunted by his lack of playing time. He goes, that's a stupid question. Next question. And to Jerry Tipton of the Herald leaders credit, he goes, I don't think it's a stupid question. Could you answer it? And I went, Oh, I thought it was a stupid question because he told me it was a stupid question, but it was just him trying to intimidate at the time. So um, that's that's one I still feel pretty good about, even though I was told it was a stupid question.
0: Okay, can I follow up with a question? Because I've been asked this multiple times about you in this segment of the podcast. How what is it about you that I ask a question like that? And to be full disclosure, you never see these questions. Like you, we don't talk about them no, beforehand. You don't go into Twitter no. and find them beforehand to prepare answers. Like these are all just off the top of your head, no matter what it is. I can say, what's your worst memory from Halloween? What is the one time you got the most trouble? What is the best answer? You always have like a, a reference, a story ready to go. it might be from 30 years ago. It might be from 12 years ago, whatever. You always have it ready to go. Is that like just how your brain functions? You just can like access the files in there that easily? Or what is it? Cause I get people asking me about that all the time. Yeah, how good and, and, you are just coming up with a story like that.
1: Cause my brain is full of nothing but mush and minutia. That's all it is. It, it, it's not full of anything. I can't do my own taxes. I don't balance our checkbook. I can't do any of that stuff. I have no DIY qualities whatsoever. Um, so <laughs> yeah, I I gotta have some kind of quality. And I guess that's what it is. Is I got, I've got a memory. that's, that, that's all I've got going for me in life.
0: Uh, it, it is impressive. I'll say on the uh, worst questions ever, uh, my my moment where I felt kind of similar to you was I was helping you and Dana out with Bengals coverage on the for the Enquirer on the Bengals beat uh, several years ago. And this was one of Marvin Lewis's final years. And they did the Oklahoma drill. But one of the first days you're really hitting, they do Oklahoma drill. I just asked the simple first day of hitting, did anybody show you anything during the Oklahoma drill that stood out? And he looked back at me, gave a half smirk and said, yeah, not anything I'm going to share with you. Thanks, Mark.
1: <laughs> which, which means it was probably a pretty good question. Cause he probably had a couple of guys in mind who did it right. And probably a couple of guys who did it wrong.
0: I guess so. I just, I have such little respect for coaches who do that type of thing. I have such yeah. little respect yeah. for it, honestly. Uh, I, okay. This is for a DM and I, I'll tell you this. If you want to make sure your question gets read and, We ask all of them, so it doesn't really matter. But if you want this to go to the top of the list and make sure I'm going to pay attention, this is how you start a direct message to us for this segment. I'm not sure I want my wife knowing this. (laughs) So it's going to be good. This past Sunday, I had a $25 parlay bet to win $2,000. Every leg but one accomplished going into the final Texans drive. I needed Pratt over four and a half tackles. He was sitting on four. The play to set up the field goal Pratt whiffed on what would have been the fifth tackle and a long field goal. Bengals lose. I miss out on two thousand dollars.
1: Devastating.
0: What is Skinny's worst beat?
1: Um, this happened independently. Tom Gamble and I have talked about this. We were we weren't even I don't think friends at the time, but um, we both recall this with with much sadness. It was NC State, and I want to say Maryland it was definitely an ACC game involving NC State to where. They score a touchdown, and they were going to kick the extra point to give me the cover and, in fact, give Tom Campbell the cover. And the students tore down the goalpost, and they didn't even do the try. So we fell a half a point shy of, of covering. And we talked about that you know, a few years later when we became friends of, of Bad Beats, and we both independently came up with that particular game.
0: That, that might be the worst I can possibly think of. What, what could be a worse scenario than that?
1: Brutal. Brutal. <laughs> That's incredible. I will say, I, I I feel bad for him. I, I did ask, in case this guy's wondering, I did ask Lou Anarumo about the Jermaine Pratt play that he's speaking of. And, and listen, Jermaine's made a lot of those plays, right, where he's ripped, the, remember the one last year with Kelsey where he ripped the ball out in a key spot in, here in Cincinnati? And I said, is there a fine line there, you know, because they don't make the tackle and, and you know, that would have been a, a longer field goal if they had. And he said, listen, he said, I know where you're going with that. He goes, you're not wrong, but he said, Jermaine being the second man in in that circumstance, that, that's what we teach the second man in to do is to rip at the football. Would it have been nice for him to get the tackle as well? Absolutely, but I he goes I I yeah. To his credit, he's like I know your point because it did did and he said you know we should have made the tackle before the rip happened. So there's there that concept. But Jermaine being the second man in, I think he was more than willing to let him go rip the ball because he's done it before.
0: Well, yeah, one, I wouldn't necessarily put the missed tackle on him. He looked the worst because he was trying to strip the ball instead of make right. the tackle, but I don't know that the missed it tackle It cost my man too great. It, it sucks if you're betting on it. It sucks if you're betting on it because Ooh. that's an obvious one that he could have had very easily had he just done anything else other than try to only strip the football. But also, Skinny, I would argue that in that situation, moving that field goal back, whatever it was, 7, 8, 10 yards, I can't remember how long he ran after that. But, I mean, moving that field goal back another – well, let's let's call it even ten yards. Probably increases Pretty your chances of winning yards. that game a few percent. If you strip the ball, you win the game. So it's like, I mean, like, well, no, the, it goes the upside of him. We're going to overtime. Okay, yeah, true, fair enough. But I mean, you you put yourself in a completely different situation. Your chances of winning the game go up way higher if you make that play on the strip than if you make the tackle and they still kick the field.
1: And he's done it. And that's the thing. He's, he's, done, he's it. done it before. He's done that exact same thing before. Yep. I'm sorry it cost you two right, grand, th- though. I, I I I guess I'd have to ask this question of him. Was there any point before that last drive where they gave him a buyout? There's no. Like, I can't imagine on a
0: – I would have taken the buyout. On, well, I don't know. If he already had four tackles, I might not have. But th- yeah. the problem with that is I don't think they typically do buyouts like that on player props, like a weird player prop for tackles. Yeah, I don't right. think you typically get a
1: buyout like that. So my guess is no. And let me say this point as well. On a day where Devin Singletary ran it thirty times, and I think they ran it what was it, thirty-four times? I would hope to hell Jermaine Pratt would have had more than four tackles before that last drive. And
0: and that's maybe a that fair point, right audience. there. Yeah, yeah. You can, Jeez, listen. I know. Point. I won't say the guy's name because uh, he DM'd me on purpose to try to keep his name yes. out of it. But that's that's a tough beat, right there. You should you should have won well, that, that bet twenty five dollars to win two thousand. You got screwed. I'm sorry.
1: And and because of the way you saw it unfold too, that's even that's even more devastating.
0: Oof. That's tough. And it's your team losing too. I assume he's a Bengals now yeah, right by the way he posed You, got, you, so the, yeah, you also watch whammy. the Bengals lose on that play.
1: Yeah, you you got the double whammy there. Oof, man.
0: Yeah. All right, that's all we that's all we got.
1: Perfect. One hour in the books. We hit it almost right on the nose. For Rick Roaring, I'm Richard Skinner. This has been the Skinny Podcast, the weekly co re edition, presented by Blake the Mason.